Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hi there. I am so incredibly excited to be having this conversation with my friend Katie Gall. Katie is a performer. She is a voice teacher, and she is also a life coach for creatives. And Katie and I have been having some really interesting conversations about the interface between being highly sensitive and empathic and having the diagnosis of ADHD. Katie, I am so thrilled to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I love talking ADHD. (laughs) I am so glad you love talking about ADHD because one of the things I've been noticing is like, for one thing, at least in my world, there are so many people who are coming forward with their diagnosis of ADHD. And the many, many people who are empaths who are talking about the fact that they are also diagnosed with ADHD. And I mean, I come from a long line of people with ADHD and sensory processing issues and hands up. (laughs) I definitely fit that category. Although in my family, the way I describe it is like, you know, in the kingdom of the blind, you know, the one eyed queen is like sovereign. (laughs) And I was the one with kind of one eye compared to some of the other family members. So I kind of like slipped under the radar because I was more high functioning than other family members. Yeah. So um, it's only been in adulthood and reading things and going, oh, my God, I ding, Mm -hmm. ding, ding. I fit every like I can tick almost all the boxes. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, what's interesting about it to me is that the way back when I was diagnosed, basically the way that you looked at a diagnosis, that's back when we had both ADD and ADHD. Everything was sort of based on how men presented with ADHD and the way that women and girls present with ADHD tends to be way quieter. Mm-hmm. It's it's different. It's not um it's not the running around the room thing. It's the zoning out when I'm not interested in something thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was I think back in the day I was officially diagnosed as ADD, but now what I'm called is ADHD inattentive type. So it's it's not that, you know, you probably as a as a young person, you probably weren't running around the house like unable to stop your body from moving, you were probably just like paying attention to something more interesting when whatever was happening was or being so maxed out that I was just shut down. Yes. You know that I had been overstimulated with way too much information. And it was like my brain would just kind of go on freeze mode. And I would just be like, you know, deer in the headlights. Yeah. 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 Well, and one of the things that, you know, we know now about ADHD and, you know, just for your audience out there, I am not a medical professional. This is mostly experiential yes. and from talking to other people with ADHD. But you, your zone of awareness when you have ADHD is way wider mm-hmm. than a neurotypical brains. You're sort of taking in all information all the time and you can't really prioritize what is important or not. And so by the end of the day, I mean, 
if you know the spoons analogy, yes. you've got like, you're like in negative spoons exactly. <laughs> by the end of the day. Exactly. Maybe by midday, you're Maybe, actually well, in yeah. negative spoons. Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, thinking about sort of like that idea of we're taking in all the information, add being highly sensitive and empathic on top of it. Not only are you taking in all the information on the physical level, mm-hmm. but you're also taking in all the information on the energetic and emotional level mm-hmm. as well. So we're just getting bombarded with information nonstop every day. Yeah. 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 And when you're not able to differentiate between energetically what is yours and what is someone else's, one of the things that we, um, as we were speaking about earlier, one of the things that comes along with ADHD is rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria. And so when you can't differentiate energetically between what is someone else's and what is yours. Oftentimes people with ADHD who are highly empathic can walk into a room and immediately feel like I'm not supposed to be here. This is not my space. And a lot of that, I think personally has to do with whatever's been going on in the energy of that room. Absolutely. And it's not necessarily you don't belong there. It's something, something has happened and I'm picking up on it and I can't shut it down. And I can't shut it down. Well, and I've had the experience a couple times that has been really amazing where I've been completely fine and I've gone to events where people are really looking at their stuff. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, like about, I don't know, anywhere, depending on the, the the length of the event, it might be anywhere between like a couple hours to like a day into it. All of a sudden, I'm having all this insecurity. I'm having all of these feelings of like, I'm wrong. Nobody likes me. Uh, You know, everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. (laughs) And this is not my natural state at Mm -hmm. this point. I mean, I've done a lot. There was a time where that would have been true, where I would have gone into a place and I would have been like, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. (laughs) But now that's not the way I tend to operate. So it's a little bit like, wow, where is this coming from? And it took a little while for me to realize that a lot of times, especially when you're in a room full of other highly sensitive, empathic, transformational entrepreneurs, healers, lightworkers, creatives, Mm -hmm. that you're going to have people who are at various levels of the emotional sort of recovery spectrum and people who are just beginning, especially to look at their stuff to look at their growth and their development are going to be really experiencing a lot of that rejection, dysphoria, and just, you know, just all of that. Mm -hmm. And as empaths, it's, we become this tape loop, which then unfortunately amplifies it. So you get this room of people who are all just kind of like feeling out of sorts. But, Mm -hmm. But that was a really powerful thing when I started to go, you know what? think there's something about these people who are not comfortable in their own skin that I'm really picking up on. And so, and as an empath, you know, the ch- what I've realized is that the challenge about being an empath as opposed to an intuitive or a psychic is that empaths experience the data and the information coming into us through the filter of our own felt experience. Mm. Whereas psychics and intuitives kind of sense it but they're like, this is not me. Yeah. And empaths, on the other hand, we process it as if it is our own. Yeah. So, so woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yay. Love that. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think, I think the other, you know, the other piece, the, the H in ADHD is, is hyper basically, right? Yes. It's hyper focusing. It's being hyper aware. And so 
one of the other things that can happen is once you have that feeling of I'm in the wrong place, I'm the wrong person, something is wrong with me. It means that you start going down this rabbit hole of like, what did I do wrong? And you start finding evidence Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm, all of these, mm -hmm. all of these things that still like that still aren't yours. Yeah. You know, but you can find it if you look hard enough. You absolutely. Well, and I think about something like I remember a quote from Madonna from years (laughs) and years and years ago where she basically said, I could get hundreds thousands of positive fan letters and positive energy and positive information coming to me. One nasty comment and I'm just wrecked. I'm devastated. Mm -hmm. And I think that I've absolutely seen this within myself and absolutely seen it in a number of other creatives and, you know, light workers and highly sensitive, like empathic entrepreneurs, where it's like, All it takes is just that one criticism and we are just crumbling. Yeah. 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 And and I will say, you know, there was a time back in the day where that was very true for me. And even now I'll say I feel it when when something like that happens. And, you know, being on social media all the time, I have plenty of people who are giving me positive feedback. Being a performer, I have plenty of people who are giving me positive feedback. And then that one troll comes along. Yeah. And it's and it really it is it is enough to potentially ruin my day if I didn't if I hadn't already done so much work to know that, oh, that's what that emotional response is about. And it's fine to feel it, but we need to not live there because that's not reality. (laughs) It's not reality. And but it does take being aware of this. And I mean, it was revelatory for me when I was like, oh, my God, that's really a thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because I think because as a creative and because the sort of a magical woo person, I'm around a lot of other people who are neurodivergent Mm -hmm. that I have, you know, that that many of us struggle with this. So I just kind of assumed that everybody was hypercritical of themselves. Everybody went through this thing where they'd implode if they got the slightest bit of criticism. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I remember being a little kid and just noticing like certain kids could just shake it off or like a parent would correct them or a teacher would correct them or somebody would just be like, hey, kid, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And it was like they just really give zero f's about it like they were like i don't care like i'm gonna do what i want to do whereas for me i was so invested in being a good girl Mm -hmm. and in like and and not making a mistake that if somebody correct or if somebody was like hey you know if like i got a correction i could just implode from that correction yeah you know with things like that followed me into my adult life um and honestly into my marriage my my husband grew up my husband grew up in a family that just like communicated really well, I guess. And like, if there was a problem, they stated it. Maybe they fought about it because he had two other brothers. <laughs> um, but it was dealt with and everybody moved on and loved each other and there wasn't a problem. Right. 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 Um, my experience of him doing that to me, where it wasn't necessarily equaling a fight, but he would say like, hey, can you do this thing differently? was immediate defenses instant. up. Instant, 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 like, no, I'm not in the wrong because da, 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 da. And it was like, it because it felt like a rejection. It yep. felt like, oh my God, if I don't do the dishes properly, we're going to get divorced. Yes. You know, <laughs> and it took me a really long time to realize, and, and I wouldn't ask 
him to do things because I didn't want to put that feeling on him, not really knowing that he didn't feel that. No, not at all. To him, it was just, oh, yeah, I can do this differently with the dishes. Yeah, completely. It's not an issue. (laughs) What I I noticed for myself is that I'm super sensitive to tone. And my husband has a radio voice. He was literally working in radio for Mm -hmm. many years before he became a psychotherapist. And he has a gorgeous radio voice. Mm -hmm. But it's very, very deep. And when he sometimes will say things to me, I experience it as a criticism and it's just his tone of voice. And what I had to learn to do with him was I had to say, I had to learn how to say, I'm imagining that you're angry with me. Is that true? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I I had to get a reality check because I was constantly experiencing even the slightest bit of like, no, do it that way as like just my little girl would just lose it. So I started to learn how to basically be like, I also learned how to say, I'm really sensitive right now. Could you please adjust your tone? Yeah. Because he also doesn't really have total awareness of how his tone lands. He has a very, he's an Aries with a very fiery, like he delivers mm-hmm. in a very fiery way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so he, I've asked him to modulate, like to be like, I need you to like dial it down a little bit. That yeah. emotional intensity about dishes is really kind of yeah. can't handle it. <laughs> but I also learned this piece of, so I learned to ask for him to just kind of like, like deliver in a slightly calmer way. But I also had to learn how to say, um, I'm imagining you're angry with me. I love, yeah, I love that actually, because Because it puts it into, like, the realm of, this might not be true. This might not be true. It's possible that this is not a real thing, you know? And so it might just be my imagination. It might just be your imagination. We're coming up on, we will have been married for 21 years at this point. Mm -hmm. And I will say that for the most part, the evidence is that when I'm imagining, it's not true. Like, yeah. And with him in particular, if I've done something that really pisses him off, he lets me know. Like, he's like, I'm pissed. Like, you, that was, that was fucked up. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have good communication between the two of you overall. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But it is really, I mean, it is really this thing that we create in our own brains. You know, our brains are always looking for the risk. They're always looking for the negative because that's how our brains keep us safe. And, and we're looking for the patterns. And we're, looking we're not for the just patterns, looking for the yes. simple triage pattern. We're looking for the large patterns right. so that we can understand the entire right. picture. Will yeah. the dishes always make my husband say dot, 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 right? right? right. Will I, and I think taking that a step for, further as someone ADHD and an empath, will I always be in trouble for how I do the dishes. Mm. Is this something that I'm never going to be able to do I'm never going to be able to do it the right way. I'm never going to be able to do it right. You know, um, we take it that one step further. And so I like, I like the, I like just the verbiage of imagine. Yeah. I imagine. I'm imagining that you're really angry with me. I, I highly recommend it. It's really helpful. I will say though, that this only works with people who are emotionally healthy and not gaslighters. Because if you're around a narcissist who's gaslighting you all the time, if you say that, they're just going to basically use it to mess with your head. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it needs to be a relationship where there is there is there is mutual trust and respect and emotional health in terms Mm -hmm. of communication. I want to roll back to something 
that you were saying, you were talking about your family not offering criticism or being silent about it. And I was thinking about how so often, you know, all of these spectrum things, all of the neurodiversity, I think, tends to run in families. And a Mm -hmm. lot of times it's like, I think we are at a generation where it's getting more and more acute Mm -hmm. now than it was. But like my father has had ADHD Mm -hmm. and I have other, you know, I've got other family members with ADHD and what, and I've got nephews with ADHD, like it runs in my family, but there's a lot of emotional charge around this diagnosis. There's a lot of stigma around this diagnosis. There's a lot of shame around this diagnosis, Mm -hmm. but I wonder sometimes if part of it too, like if your family is not communicating this, you know, like just being direct, some of it is if you've got other people with ADHD they're not as inclined to offer a correction or be direct about something because they know how painful it is. Yeah. So there's sort of almost like this, I don't know, enabling going on. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's interesting. You know, um, I did grow up with other people with ADHD in my family, but I think I'm actually not sure about this. I might be the only one that has an official diagnosis Mm -hmm. or at least the only one that I know of that has an official diagnosis. Um, but on top of that, my the my family growing up, we just weren't very good at communicating problems generally. Yeah. Um, and, you know, part of that was, you know, just because of how my parents grew up, you didn't air dirty laundry. Right. Part of that was that when I became a teenager, I was a bitch. <laughs> I became pretty rebellious at times. And I think I think there was a lot of sort of feeding back and forth because mm-hmm. you had the hormones of me being a teenager. You had the rejection sensitivity dysphoria on multiple planes going on. And we just hadn't practiced communicating as well. And and now, actually, we're much better at it yeah. overall. Yeah. But a lot of that is because certain members of the family, including myself, sort of forced it. Well, and you probably learned tools for communicating. You know, the idea that we know how to communicate is so unfair. Yeah. You know, there's so many things that like, I don't know, like we're supposed to just know how to rear children. We're supposed to just Mm -hmm. know how to love somebody. We're supposed to just know how to have sex. We're supposed Mm -hmm. to know how to communicate. Like there's all these things that we're supposedly supposed to know how to do. And there's no... You know, and the thing is that it's not something that we just know how to do. Yeah. We need to learn. And there are very specific communication tools that we can develop and learn. Like, for example, mirroring Mm -hmm. is an incredibly powerful and effective communication tool Mm -hmm. that I spent a lot of time learning when I was in graduate school and seminary. Yeah. And at first it feels really clunky and really awkward. And, you know, just to share with the audience, mirroring is when basically somebody says something and what you do is you reflect back exactly what you hear and you confirm it. So like if Katie was just saying, you know, I came from a family that didn't really know how to communicate, I would be like, so you came from a family that didn't really know how to communicate. Am I getting that right? Is that Mm -hmm. accurate? And Mm -hmm. you would then say, yes, yes. Or you would say, well, actually not quite that. And the thing about that technique is that it allows us, and especially I think for people with ADHD, this is a technique that actually allows us to listen and parse out the information and slow down 
the rate at which we Mm -hmm. are processing information. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's something that I use with my clients all the time, um, my life coaching clients. And one of the things that I think is really cool about that tool is that just the act of hearing your own words said back to you helps the person, not the listener, but the, the, the speaker clarify further for themselves what they actually are feeling or what they're actually meaning to convey. Yes, yes, yes. And with EFT, interestingly, you know, the whole like good EFT is about picking up on the precise exact language of the person who is saying it. And what I've had the experience of doing is like, I will take somebody's exact words. And then as they're tapping, they'll be like, well, actually, yeah, it's a little bit different than that. And there is something so powerful about that. Whereas I will say some of the EFT out in the world where you've got people who are just basically manufacturing scripts and like saying things. One of the reasons why if you've tried you've tried like tapping along with somebody on YouTube and you're or following a written script and it's not working for you is because it's not your yeah. language. <laughs> it's not you. And it's like, this is the thing about EFT. Good EFT is about dialing in precisely to your own stuff. But, you know, that and, and the idea of reflecting what we are saying, what we are feeling is so incredibly powerful, Mm -hmm. but it is a learned skill for sure. It is. And I want to circle back for a second because um, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was that there was sort of a stigma around your ADHD or or lack of diagnosis. Lack of diagnosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I think when it comes to communication, you know, you said we aren't taught how to do it. Mm -hmm. And the ways that we do get, at least for me, the ways that I have been taught how to do it are because something is quote unquote wrong with me and I need to learn it. Meaning I need to go to a therapist or I need to learn techniques because I'm ADHD. And so just this idea of being an effective communicator like is compounded with this shame and stigma of, oh, there's something wrong with me already. And, And really, no. Nobody's taught to communicate Nobody, effectively for the most part. Taught, and if anything, what I actually think is like people like you and I, where the system, the 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 stuff all of our emotions, pretend that everything mm-hmm. is fine, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, that all of that is uh, that that we are the outliers who are like, this is not working. Yeah. And we cannot function within that system. What if it's not that we're the broken ones? What if it's that we are actually the healthier ones who are responding or rebelling against a broken system? Yep. And we're actually the ones who are bringing solutions into our family systems and saying, this ain't working. We need to do this thing differently. Mm -hmm. And I think what's happening is, as we've got these generations of people and more and more people coming out, uh, you know, like discovering that they're, they're highly sensitive, empathic, more and more people discovering that they have ADHD. I think what's happening is that we're hitting critical mass in terms of the old systems are just not working. Yeah. That denial, compression, and especially white people, like God bless white people, uh, you know, and especially like, you know, wasps from a Puritan Protestant Mm -hmm. upbringing that there is just like, we have learned how to nurse resentments with silent (laughs) treatment and, you know, and just that simmering rage Mm -hmm. that, you know, as a highly sensitive child, it just can feel like absolutely awful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I actually have an entire poem that I wrote at one point about my rage monster. 
mm. that just lives inside lives me. Inside you. And every yeah. once in a while, just like bursts out yeah. in total anger. Come to learn, come to learn that so much of that rage monster had to do with my ADHD and how I felt I was supposed to be in the world, quote unquote, versus how I was, how I am actually able to happily be in the mm, world. Mm, mm. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, and I grew up, you know, my mom with especially like sort of Irish Catholic upbringing, my mother learned, like my mother was the master of silent treatment. Mm -hmm. And you knew if she was like, if you knew that you had really crossed a line, if she was not talking to you. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I've only had, I've only had one time in my entire life where I was so utterly like rip shit about something where I basically gave a couple of people silent treatment for like mm -hmm. a couple of weeks. Like mm -hmm. I just would not speak to them. Yeah. But it was, and, and it was like, they knew like they had fucked up mm -hmm. because, you know, and because I mean, silent treatment is a really interesting thing, but on the other side of it, it is so messed up because it's kind of like, okay, you're pissed. And I'm just supposed to extrapolate from the fact that you're not talking to me, that there's something wrong here. Yes. Though, you know, what just came to me is that it's also, it, it is a punishment in the right. sense that it's a form of ostracization. Yes. Which is terrifying to us as as tribal people. Yes. You know, um, yes. as as, you know, as as animals that like belong in a clan, in a group, in a community. Um, ostracization is one of the scariest things. It is. Well, and this brings us to this amazing thing, which is that when I was in graduate school, I learned this amazing you know, factoid, which is that it is actually substantially more harmful to be disconfirmed, which means to be just ignored, invalidated, and treated as if you do not exist. You're mm. disconfirmed. Mm -hmm. It is actually more harmful to the human psyche to be disconfirmed than to get negative attention. So yeah. one of the things that happens for a lot of children, if they're in dysfunctional family systems and they're not getting positive attention, mm -hmm. they will act out to get negative attention because it is more, it's like more life affirming to get the crap kicked out of you than yeah. it is to be left alone and neglected and abandoned. Yeah. And so you can, if you start thinking about this, like there are politicians who shall remain nameless where you can see their five-year-old out there acting out constantly mm -hmm. because we know their history with their father and their mother, but especially their father, was an absolute... Like, actually, it's really interesting if you start looking at some of the dictators and yeah. some of the fascists that are rising up. If you look at their childhood stories and mm -hmm. if you look at the neglect that they experienced as kids... It's sort of like they are in a perpetual loop of trauma yeah. where they are, they learned that they would get attention by acting out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and like, you know, 60 years later, they're still pulling this crap yeah. because, you know, repetition compulsion. But also if we do not heal our trauma, we, we, we carry it everywhere. We bleed out on all things. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it affects absolutely everything. Everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. So I want to go back to something just because this was a piece that you were talking about that like you just gave me a piece of information and I just got another puzzle piece, which was the idea that ordinary, quote, muggles or whatever mm -hmm. we want to neurotypical people, they have a capacity to parse out information and see the world 
through like, like they can prioritize, you yeah, know, they can prioritize. and they see things. And the very first time I realized I was different in the way that I perceived things was that I was at a pair a friend's house and we had been partying and hanging out and we were sort of all kind of like, you know, winding down for the evening. And so the TV was on in the living room and we were watching Gamera, like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and I'm sitting in the living room and I am watching the television and I'm watching them watching the television. Mm-hmm. I am aware of the sound of the bubbler in the fish tank next to me. I'm aware of the colors in the fish tank next to me. I'm seeing the fish in the fish tank. I'm aware of their inter, like I'm, like I'm aware of the sensation of the seat underneath me. I'm aware of the lights uh, around me. I'm aware of my own emotional response to everything and how I'm feeling really sort of sideways and a little bit out of sorts and off. Yep. I'm aware of the fact that the, the, like literally like the floor is not level. And so yeah. I'm feeling kind of like a little bit like discombobulated from that. I'm aware of like the paneling and the walls, like everything. I'm yeah. just taking it all in. And I look over at them and they are completely, entirely in tunnel vision, focusing on the TV. And they're laughing at the TV, laughing at this ridiculous, like, you know, Japanese dubbed movie. And that's all they are focusing on. And I make some, I I think I made some comment at the time and they just were kind of like, huh, what? Like, it just did not even register. And that for me was the moment that I went, Oh, I am taking in like where they're taking in 10%, I'm taking in 95%. That, you know, I, that's so interesting to me because I absolutely also had that experience, but I never, to to me, it was just, oh, damn it. I can't pay attention again. It wasn't, it wasn't like, I was not aware that I was taking in everything. Mm-hmm. I was just aware that I couldn't focus on the thing that I was supposed to be focusing well, on. Well, and what's interesting is you, as a teenager, got the, quote, diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And so you had that label. I, on the other hand, came from a family because there was so much stigma about actually owning our ADHD mm-hmm. diagnosis. Nobody got diagnosed with it. My father, we knew had it, Mm -hmm. but I, and I don't even know. I mean, he was, he was, I mean, he was born in the 1930s. So it's not like he was diagnosed with it as a kid. People weren't even talking about it at that point. They just called him a spaz, Mm. which was a total insult. Yeah. But still is, (laughs) but yeah, it still is. Um, Absolutely. It's even more of an insult now. It's very politically incorrect to say that. So to anybody who hears me say that, I am no, please, no offense, man. Yep. Um, It's just what he was called. Yeah. But, you know, none. So we it was really okay to have a learning disability in my family. Dyslexia was kind of like the 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 uh moniker that everybody could wear with pride like okay mm. i've got the dyslexia i'm wearing the dyslexia crown i've got the yeah. dyslexia diagnosis <laughs> and i can acknowledge that but and i actually didn't know until i didn't even know this until i was an adult but at one point i think like maybe 10 15 years ago my mom when my i think it was my one of my nephews got a diagnosis of um nonverbal learning disability mm. and my mom was like oh yeah you had that too and I was like, really? You never bothered to tell me about this? Yep. <laughs> and 
you know, again, what's so fascinating is, uh, again, it's that whole thing of like the way a male responds to or manifests that particular disability versus the way a female does. Yeah. Totally different. But in our family, ADHD was sort of this thing where it's like everybody knows that everybody has it, but nobody will admit to it. Yeah. So in a way, I didn't necessarily get the tape loops or as in EFT, the writings on the wall Mm -hmm. that you got Mm -hmm. about you can't focus, you can't pay attention. I mean, I was constantly being told that I was a flake. I was constantly being told that I was disorganized. Mm -hmm. I was constantly being told like, oh, if only you could like just, you know, like Nikki and I were talking about this. Yes. Or actually, I don't know if it's Nikki or uh, anyway, I was having a conversation with either Chris or Nikki just recently about the whole sort of like, oh, but she has so much potential if only she could apply herself. Actually, yep. I think it was with Nikki. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I know that one. So much potential. Mm-hmm. She's so smart. If only she could apply herself. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, I'm not like, and, and the thing is, you know, the more I know about nervous system regulation, it's like, you know, between sensory processing issues and also safety issues, mm-hmm. once we don't feel safe, like all bets are off yeah. about our ability to process information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, you know, add on top of that, um, ADHD means that your brain is low in dopamine. Mm. So you're kind of always going to be doing these uh, dopamine seeking behaviors which are not necessarily the thing that you're supposed to be doing right in that moment right you know right um, but at the same time what i've found is if i just allow myself to do those things whether it's and you know that can be having something with sugar in it that can be going for a walk that can be standing up and dancing around if i allow myself to actually have space to be the weirdo, I actually can reach my potential. Yes. I can do the things. Yes. It's just when I'm forced into that neurotypical box that suddenly I'm highly ineffective. (laughs) Well, and the other day, you know, um, on my Facebook page, we had a post on my Facebook page that was talking about the difference between how neurotypical people parse and process information and it's a c word and the way that and not the see you next tuesday word but but i mean for 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 those of us who are neurodiverse uh, that might be or neurodivergent that may be how we would experience that word but and then there's this thing of like it's kind of the idea of like functioning within the box versus functioning outside of the box yeah and what this meme was saying and I was like, oh my God, is that people with ADHD, and I think this is probably true for people with sensory processing disorders, people who are highly sensitive and empathic. And I think, you know, there's just the more time I spend in this world, it's like spectrum disorders, whether Mm -hmm. it's being an empath, being on the autism spectrum, whether it's having, you know, sensory processing disorder, being ADHD, I think they're all interconnected. Yeah. Because it's all about the way we pick up information in yep. a different way than the average bear does. But so this this meme was essentially saying that it is torture for somebody with ADHD 
to try to process information and fit in the box and do the thing. And in order for us, like if you're going to do like a high ticket, like, you know, you got to like go through and answer all the emails thing. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do like one of these kind of like productivity tasks, you absolutely need to counterbalance it with something that allows your creative brain to experience the world the way you're meant to. Yes. Unbridled and able to see the 300 and 360 degree view. Yep. Because tunnel visioning into the singular prioritized task really takes it's a it's incredibly taxing. It's super draining on our brain. It's super draining. Super draining. And you know, one of uh one of my coaches, uh what she said at one point that just kind of made my head go, oh my God, that makes so much sense. She so she specifically uh well. She's a, a, an ADHD coach, I suppose. She's, she tends to work with a ton of ADHD people. Um, her name is Megan Kierstead. She's awesome. Uh, she said at one point that the scariest emotion for people with ADHD is boredom. Mm. And she said that, and I was like, yes. Yes, that makes so much sense. And it's it's the reason why. Like, doing something like just going through emails, which for for my husband, for example, is... Just like a non, there's no emotional attachment to that for him. For me is like, I haven't even looked at my email in the two days that we've been here. Like, <laughs> it's just. Email? What email? Why? why? I have so many unread emails. I don't oh really want to clear that out. That seems dumb. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 um, what is it like, um, you know. My name is Jennifer and I'm powerless over email. I yeah, mean, right. <laughs> I went through, I did, I led a purge in my, in my Facebook group earlier, we did a digital declutter and mm-hmm. I was able to get my inbox down from 45,000 unopened emails. Oh my God, you're more than me. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> 45,000 emails down to 16,000. And I actually emptied a couple email things. And I was so thrilled because what I've also noticed is that there's there's boredom, but then there's also the sensory processing issue of maxing out and overwhelming. And yeah, what happens for me is, you know, I go straight from I don't I go straight to freeze. I don't go yes. through fight or flight. Yes, I go right into freeze and my brain just goes yep. and shuts down. Yeah, no, there's actually and this is, you know, this is where the spoons analogy kind of comes in as well. Like it's like you just used up your last spoon and boop, boop, we're done, done, we're done, done. And it's, I mean, it's a form, it's decision fatigue, right? Ultimately, even if, even if you've been making similar decisions all along, eventually, it's just kind of like, I I can't decide about this one more email, I I, I have to be done. Well, and I've discovered with email, if somebody sends me more, like, I can probably handle answering like three questions. But I've noticed that like, there's things like if somebody sends me a block of text with a bunch of information, I have to parse out within that block of text, I cannot make sense of it. I need like, you need to break down in bullet points, the pieces of information that you're asking from me. And if you give me like enough space between the tasks, then I can do it. But I actually was just approached by somebody to do an interview on their podcast and just seeing the requirements and the requests and the like, do this, jump through these hoops. Mm-hmm. Like I was just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to even bother being like, she made it way too hard. And she yeah. had one date available in her calendar for like a meet and greet. So yeah. I was just like, fuck that. I'm not even bothering with this. Like, lady, yeah. you know, you be you, but I'm not going to do your thing. 
And that actually reminds me of another thing about, you know, one of the things that can happen for us too is if it's not easy, if there's too many steps, it can really shut us down. Um, And so like, for example, I've noticed if somebody wants to do something, but like, I'm like, hey, do you want to do this thing? And they're like, sure. When are you available? I am much more likely to shut down if there is like two or three back and forth about scheduling. I love scheduling links because I can shoot a calendar over to somebody and say, go schedule. Yeah. And it's done. Yeah. Whereas occasionally I'll get these people who are like in the dine, you know, in the stone age of like podcasting where they're like, when do you have time available? And I'll write back. And then it's like another day or two of emails back and forth of like, okay, let's settle on this. And I'm like, this does not have to be this way. Yeah. Because that takes so much bandwidth from yeah. my brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, you know, that's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't actually thought of that. But, like, the number of times, especially because I'm an extrovert, and so yeah. I... I love being around people. Yeah. Like, I'm a I'm an energy soaker. Um, so I want to create those meetings. I want to go and do those things. But the second that it's too much, especially in text, yes. too much back and forth, too like, much I'm going to miss the date. Exactly. You know, it's not, I'm, exactly. I'm, yeah. It's just going to go bloop and out, out, out there. Yeah. And I've definitely noticed, like, it, there, I, and I haven't fully cracked it, but I've definitely noticed like there's certain things that like if, like if if this call to action is really clear, I can respond to it very easily. Like there's a clarity, but if there's a vagueness about it, yeah, I will freeze. And that's the thing, even with like emails that I've noticed is that if somebody's asking for something and I don't quite understand it, or they're asking for too many pieces of information all at the same time, Mm -hmm. I am much more likely to be like, think an answer or try to sort out or percolate on the answer, but sort of leave it in the inbox and not deal with it because I do not know how to deal with it. And there's a saying, you know, in marketing, a confused mind always says no. And I think that yeah. that is so true with people who are dealing with ADHD and I would say also sort of the sensory processing issues. Mm-hmm. Like when you can't parse information easily, yeah, you're just going to shut down. Well, and also, you know, the ways that we are taking in this information is usually on, they're on our phones, it's on our computers, it's on, it's in spaces where there are so many other things to distract us. Usually that there's this additional layer of the confused mind mm-hmm. because you're kind of like, well, I just read this other email and I need to go schedule this thing, and but I need to answer this. But in order to answer this, I need to go look at my phone. Oh, my goodness. Look at all the texts on my phone. And it, it, it it's really hard nowadays as an ADHD person to block out some of that noise. Yes, um, absolutely. And on top of that. As someone with ADHD, you want the noise. Like the right. noise actually helps you get shit done. You just need to be allowed to flit around like a butterfly. Exactly. <laughs> and the thing is that depending on how you process and what your dominant sensory processing things are, mm-hmm. it may be that you need like so for example, my husband definitely has like he doesn't necessarily have quite the same focusing issues that I have, but he is extremely like classically hyperactive. He's a sure. drummer. He is tapping on everything nonstop. Mm-hmm. It's like he doesn't even know he's tapping. He is like Mr. Kinetic. Yeah. And what I noticed about him is that 
when he is working and it blows my mind, he has, so he will be sitting, um, if we're, we're in the same room together, he will be sitting on the couch with his laptop open. He will have his iPad next to him with a basketball game on. He will have, Excuse me. He will have his laptop on with a drumming video that he is editing with all the editing software up with the drumming video. He will have. And on top of that, there will be the television going with something completely different. He sounds classically ADHD. And he will, <laughs> yeah. Um, and he will. And then he will be like listening to and he'll be so he'll be. So there's the television is on. He's listening to something completely different and he's got the basketball game going on in the background and he thrives on this like, yeah. like and even in his office, he has literally, he's got three monitors up and there will be three different things going on and he is able to, he be functions better that way. I, on the yep. other hand, get utterly distracted when there is too much especially auditory information. Yeah. If there are too many auditory signals going on, like especially like I've noticed I cannot tolerate two pieces of music going on simultaneously. I yes. cannot handle that. Yeah. And even yeah. last night, as I was having a conversation with somebody, there were people who are playing music, but they were playing something that was very lyrical. And so it almost sounded like the, the music, even though there were no words, it was like somebody was singing. I was completely thrown off that I even lost my, I like, I lost what I was saying mm -hmm. because I was, it was too much information was coming in. Yeah. 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 I am. Um, so I'm a musician. So one would assume that I could, one of the things that would help me is like listening to music while doing something. Cannot. Yeah. Mm -mm. Absolutely. Mm -mm. Absolutely. Cannot. I always have to, I need something visual and auditory, but then I also need something to do with my body. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so my I at this point, I've actually gotten much better about not doing work in front of the television because that was a lot of back and forth that wasn't particularly helpful. But I have also recognized and given myself full permission to do small crafts like you've seen me embroidering, yes. like having a listening to other people have a conversation or watching TV, unless something is truly particularly engaging, something else has to be going on. Yes. All the time. Yes. But what your husband does would be way too much for me. Oh my God. I mean, <laughs> I was like, much. dude, knock yourself out. Like, yeah. You do you boo. Yeah. You know, and, but ironically, he is super light sensitive. I mm. love light. I love having a lot of light and I can parse a lot of visual stimulation. Yeah. He can tolerate noise at a level that just makes me completely banana whackers. Um, but he, but, but light is where he likes. So he's got, so the it's visual, the same with my husband. so the mm -hmm. visual field is where he kind of tends to shut down. And the auditory field is where I tend to shut down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's so interesting. Cause like thinking about it, my husband, like never wants the lights on. Yeah. He only ever wants natural light if at all possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Though there are times where visually things get way overwhelming for me. And it's usually if everything else is dark and there's just a light. Oh, spot, yeah. Like the television. on. Oh, he always yeah. wants, he oh. wants just the television and all the lights oh, off Oh, my God. Night. Yes. And I'm like, I can't. I, I, <laughs> I can't. Yes, I cannot. It is so hard 
to tolerate when we are in a dark room. Like every so often it'll be like, can we please turn off all the lights and watch it like it's a movie? And I'm just so, like, oh, I, really? It's like, force. I feel like it's just like forcing my attention to only do one mm-hmm. thing, which I understand why he likes. Yep. But it's, it's putting you into that neurotypical box again that uh-huh. like just doesn't quite fit. Well, and it, yeah, it, uh, I, another one is like, I don't know how you feel about like eating in dim lighting. No, I, oh, I, I don't mean, know why. Eating in dim lighting, <laughs> these yeah. like romantic restaurants where you can't even see your food. Nope. Oh my God, no. that drives me nuts. No, it drives yeah. me insane. It drives yeah. me, and you know, that's funny. That's something that has only, uh, I've only recently really started to register for myself as well. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like, like, I know where my fork is. I know where my plate is. It, for me, it doesn't even have to be that dark. But for no. some reason, I feel like I can't, I can't see it well enough. Right. I can see everything, but I can't see it no, well enough. No, I need to be able to I distinguish and identify what food am I putting in my mouth? What input am I going to be experiencing in a second? Yeah. I need yeah. to know what's coming in. It's like a safety in. thing. It is yeah. a safety thing. Well, and this kind of goes into sort of the, sort of the cross diagnosis of sensory processing disorder. Yeah. You know, which in my, in my travels and, you know, as you were saying, I'm not a doctor nerd. I, well, you know, it's like neither of us are doctors, nor do we play one on TV, but we have both spent quite a bit of time around a lot of people and a lot of experiences. (laughs) Um, You know, but what I've noticed is like sensory processing disorder seems to be very common among empaths, very common among people on you know, with ADHD and very common, um, the spe- you know, for people with spectrum disorders. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's just, it's so fascinating the way that, and it, I do really think it's like, we are not experiencing the, like we experience the world in such a vaster, broader way, which actually reminds me of something you were talking about earlier about the concept of this neurodiversity is actually um was a boon like you were yeah. talking yeah. yeah 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 so so um and like this is this is more of a hypothesis at the moment but something that i read is that researchers are thinking that adhd might have been an evolutionary boon back when we were hunter gatherers because it was actually highly beneficial for us to be able to take in tons of information all the time. It meant that from far away, you could see the berries that were poisonous. Ooh, don't touch those, but those ones over there are good. It could mean that, you know, you could spot a wild animal that would be food for your tribe from far away, as well as like actually be able to react quickly enough to pull out your bow and arrow and hit it or whatever Mm -hmm, it is mm -hmm. they were, they were using at the time, you know, and having you know the thing that i always say about myself versus my husband is when the zombie apocalypse hits i'm i'm gonna be the best one i'm gonna be the one that like everyone wants to go to in the emergency because whenever an emergency happens it i i am immediately able to take in the situation and assess really quickly what needs to happen whereas frequently and i love him dearly frequently when an emergency happens he he like freezes and tries to like tries to assess, but it takes too long. Yes. Everything takes too long. Yes. So that that ability to take in far, far more information than is necessary on the day to day and then also instinctively react quickly is 
incredibly helpful yes. actually at yes. times. It's yes. just, it's not really helpful when you're answering emails all day. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like we are wired for heightened ex- experiences all the time. Yes. Yeah. And when things are normal, I mean, it's like that hypervigilance is still running in the yeah. background. Yeah. It, you know, as like our screensaver or our yeah. operating system, it's constantly running. I, you know, as you said that, I was just thinking, I wonder how many people working in emergent fields, like working like firefighters, cops and emergency room workers and surgeons, but like how many people in sort of the fields of first responders are ADHD? So it would be, yeah, I don't, I don't know those numbers necessarily, but I did, I did read at one point as I, so I was diagnosed back in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up going off medication for college and for about a decade plus afterwards. And then after I uh, had my first kiddo, I started realizing that I was having a hard time again. And so I started diving back in about three years ago yeah. to everything. And so I was I was searching around looking for information on ADHD, which is so much more than Amazing there was back how much then. more information there is. And I found, I actually found a list of like, um, really great professions for people with ADHD because, because this like quick responding, enjoying sort of being in the action mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Firefighters, policemen, first responders, lots of doctors have ADHD. Yep. Um, but also artists, creatives, yeah. highly tend to tend yeah. to have at least ADHD tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is just that ability. And especially for me on stage, it's been hugely helpful for when, you know, a set piece doesn't make it on stage. OK, I'm continuing and I'm continuing without worrying about it because I've already thought through. You've prepared. Yes. All of the things that yes. happen. Yes. You know? And I think even without being without being a first responder, uh, you, I don't know if you do this, but I know all of the ways that I would get my children out of the house in case of a fire because yes. I lay it, I lay in bed at yes. night. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, no. And I mean, I just assumed that's funny. I just assumed that this was um, hyper vigilance from childhood when we were like we did like fire drills mm-hmm. all the freaking time mm-hmm. as kids. And we were constantly being like, I was terrified. I came into this life with an absolute terror of house fires. Yeah. Um, I believe it is because I have been burned at the stake multiple times in other lives. And so I came in with a little bit of anxiety about getting burned again. Mm -hmm. But but I just remember like, yeah, I mean, I've that is one of like, where is the nearest escape route? What is the most effective way that I can handle this? Yeah. Preparing for the zombie apocalypse. for sure. And, you know, along with ADHD, very much comes comorbidities like anxiety, like depression, Mm -hmm. like hypervigilance, these things that they're just I mean, if you're going through the world with ADHD, you're going to end up anxious at some point. you know. Yes. Yes. But I also think that part of it is sometimes just, you know, laying in bed at night, if you're not quite tired enough but you're trying to get yourself to go to sleep what a fantastic boredom moment so like yeah your brain's gonna throw up like oh well let's be let's be proactive and let's plan for all the worst case scenarios in your life (laughs) i'm really lucky in that at some point my brain decided like without even my consent my brain started doing this thing where i go to sleep thinking of art projects oh i love that yeah and so i will go to sleep just kind of visualizing or daydreaming or imagining things and kind of planning for something goal oriented Mm -hmm. which is way help way better than when i 
was a child and I was like worrying about the boogeyman and the ghosts under my bed and about the fire that was going to hit and all of the other things. I, I just got to say, like, it is like just start thinking about a project and start parsing it out. Yeah. You'll fall. At least for me, I fall asleep. Like, yeah. it's not like I just keep on going and going and going. No, there was definitely a point where I realized I had to very actively choose what I was thinking about, because just to share with you and your readers or readers, readers listeners, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I honestly am still scared of the dark. The entire time, um, Jen and I are on a, a writing retreat together right now, yeah. and I'm sleeping in the attic. Mm. I've had a light on up there. Oh, of course. Whole time. Of course. Whole time. Because I just like, because if I don't, then I can't see things. And if I can't see things, I don't know what's there. And if I don't know what's there, then that's what my brain's going to focus on. Exactly. Is what could be there. Totally. You know? And I'm in an attic. There's You're totally in an ghosts. Attic. There are ghosts up there. But I don't want you to go check, Well, and, and I mean, the ghost <laughs> almost took my my uh my toiletries kit that's true that's true yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ghost adhd <laughs> not really sure what we're talking about it's both it's both, both. blame the ghosts both. it's the ghosts <laughs> yes. ghosts are very helpful ghosts yes. are very useful and, for all and of clean those. they like to clean themselves which is why they took your toilet they took kit. my toiletries because they like to clean themselves yes, absolutely makes sense. totally totally <laughs> totally makes sense uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, Katie, this has been such a like, like, I mean, I just feel like we just like this, this particular interview conversation really yeah. has just gone so rapidly. Yeah. This was fun. This was really this fun. Was fun. This was, I mean, I just think, I hope that as, as we've had this conversation, as you're listening to this, that for anybody who's been struggling, anybody who's been like, why can't I? Like that you're like, oh, my God, mm -hmm. I'm nor, you know, you mean like there are other people like this, other people struggle with the same thing. I, I would highly suggest if if this is resonating, like go look up the current symptoms of ADHD, because they're probably not exactly what you have in your mind. Yes. It's much broader now than I can't sit still, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and oh, I wanted to make a comment, you know, talking about I was actually thinking about as you were talking about one of the things for us is like both the, the sort of the blessing and the curse of our sensitivity to many things and the fact that we're always taking things in. I actually think that one of the reasons why ADHD is becoming more and more, quote, problematic, unquote, for us as a society mm -hmm. is because in the last like 20 years, we have gone from information coming at a pace that we could manage it to information coming at a pace that we cannot manage yeah. it anymore. You know, I I grew up, I was born you know, I was born in the early 60s. And so I was born into the analog age. Mm -hmm. I was born into the point where the only way you could listen to music was if you took a piece of vinyl, put it on the stereo and you could listen to a 30, like actually like, like one side was like 15 minute yeah. record, you know, the other side, 15 minutes. Yeah. And you had to turn it over and you had to process it and you had to do this. TV was scheduled. You could only yeah. watch a program at a specific time. Mail took upwards of a week to get to you from one person to another. You know, the phone yeah. would ring. There was no answering machine. There was no such thing as text messages. There was no such thing as email. Yeah. There, were no, there was no instant information. And the news was only coming on at For like in hour. the morning, 
in the morning, one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening, and then one hour at the late night news. So there Mm -hmm. was three hours of the day where you were getting exposed to the information or you would get the newspaper and you could process it at your leisure. Mm -hmm. But the newspaper was coming each day on a piece of paper and you had this concrete physical thing to hold. And now we are being barraged and bombarded with information 24-7. Our phones are on. Our devices are on. We are hearing things. And it's just nonstop. And I think that's the other thing that's making this almost like epidemic. Yeah. Because it's too much. I feel like this could be an entire other episode. Absolutely. But remember how I said uh, that boredom was the scariest emotion? Yes. When the brain doesn't get to be bored it stops being creative. It doesn't Mm. have space for creativity to build that. And so kind of where my head is going right now is I wonder if there are people who are having the symptoms of ADHD because they were never taught how to be bored as opposed to someone with ADHD who can't be bored, basically, for whom that's like actually a really terrifying thing. Well, and I find it's interesting. You were saying it's terrifying. I actually experience boredom as um, melancholy and blueness. Yeah, I start sinking into these feelings of like, if there is too much quiet and too much stillness, I start feeling like the well of sadness that is on the planet. Yes. And so that's another as an empath, I think that's another reason why we tend to seek stimulation is so that there's sort of like a radio like there's we've got some company. Ooh. yeah, so that we're not interesting receiving like because and that I actually think is another piece of just our whole society like you know, like, you know, plug in air fresheners and all of these things where we're constantly creating some kind of sensory input Mm -hmm. that also helps that almost helps us to entrain so that we're not picking up on. Oh, that's so interesting. That's such an interesting way of thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's actually how I experience boredom as well. I've just I I just thought that the melancholy part was me being weird, no. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No. How interesting. No. It's, it's, okay, I want to talk to you more about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Katie, we are at the top of the hour. Yes. This conversation has been, like, off the charts amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah. So good. Let's do it again. Yes, let's do it again. So, Katie, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, they can head to my website, uh, keepingitrealkatie.com. They can follow me on Instagram at keepingitreal, uh, at keepingitrealkatie. Facebook. With a K, you guys. Oh, yes, Not with a, a K, K. With a K. I'm also on TikTok with that same handle. Uh, Facebook. I'm all the places. You're all the places. I'm all the places. And you guys don't have to worry about this because all you have to do is go over to empathicmasteryshow.com and the show notes will be there with all the links. Magic. Magic. Of technology. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. 
And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.